So uh, we've been in a book of, the book of Colossians in a series, and today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something uh, uh, ambitious. I'm going to look at verses 6 through the end of the chapter. So uh, this is several verses, and they're jam-packed with theology. So this is a dense, uh, theological, rich passage. And uh, I was talking to my brother this past week, who's a pastor, and, and he's, he's taught the book of Colossians before. <clears throat> and he said, Brent, what is your passage? And I said, well, I'm basically doing chapter two. And he said, Brent, don't do that. That's way too much information. That's just way too rich, way too complex. Uh, don't do it, um, but I'm going to. So uh, don't try this at home. Uh, this is going to be, but the reason why I want to do it is because uh, although it's rich and there's so much here, there's really one point that Paul is trying to drive home here, and it's kind of the main point of the book. Like, this is the main subject, uh, kind of the main reason why Paul wrote the letter. So Paul is making, although it's so rich and there's so many verses here, he's really driving home one particular thing, and it's a thing that's very relevant. I think it's a point that's really powerful. And he's going to essentially talk about how we are complete in Jesus, how we are complete in Christ. Christ is sufficient for all of our needs. Christ is enough. That's what he's going to be, that's the one point that Paul is going to be making here in the passage. And like I said, I think it's a pretty relevant point. And, uh, you know, I wanted to just kind of show you guys how relevant this idea of being complete is, is in our culture. And so like any, you know, wise, uh, deeply theological pastor, uh, I went to Google and I, and I typed in, what makes me complete? Or how do I become complete? I, searched, I put that in the search engine there. And just kind of to see what, are, what is our culture saying about being complete? The first thing that came up was a, a little website called Tiny Buddha. And uh, on the website, there was, it's a website for spiritual pilgrimage, and I think it's a retreat center. And there was a testimonial uh, given by a woman about how she was searching for completeness, how she really wanted to be fulfilled. And so she went to this retreat center, and she, she said, I was searching for myself. I was searching to discover who I am. And she said, when I finally discovered who I am, then I was complete. And this is what she said. She said, I felt so, it felt so good, or I felt so good that I decided to declare myself a complete woman out loud to the universe. I announced with pride that I was whole as I was by myself, and if I felt that something was, was missing or out of key in my life, it was up to me to find it and fix it. It was up to me to believe in myself, to trust in myself, to listen to my intuition, and to follow my gut, to pick myself up when I fell, and to keep encouraging myself when I felt stuck or weak. I would be my approval, and I would give myself confidence. So she says, I'm complete. I've discovered that I'm complete when I discovered self-sufficiency. When I discovered who I am and that I'm enough for me, that I'm my approval, that I'm my uh, significance, uh, then I discovered myself. Then I became complete. So this is one thing that our culture is saying about, you know, experiencing completeness. Uh, and, and in my search, another thing came up a little bit later on the, on the page there, and it was this little uh, movie clip from uh, Jerry Maguire. And uh, it's a little clip, if anybody's seen that movie from the 90s, uh, there, it's this movie about uh, romance and love, a romantic comedy, uh, starring Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger, and there's this moment in the, in the movie where uh, Tom Cruise discovers he's in love with N Nicole, Z uh, Nicole uh, Renee Zellweger. And he looks at her, and there's that famous line, what did he say? You complete me. You complete me. 
And so here's another thing our culture is saying about completeness, is that you will be complete when you find romantic love. You are nobody until somebody loves you, right? You're really not complete. You're really not whole. You're really not a total human being until you discover the one, you know, that one person that you were meant to fall in love with, and then you'll be complete. Now, I know that 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 movie ruined marriage for a lot of us because because you get married and you discover, like, lo and behold, uh, this person, for some reason, doesn't doesn't feel like they're completing me. (laughs) What's going on? And, uh, but this this is what our culture is saying about about how we find completeness, right? Maybe you find it in self-realization and discovering that you are enough, Or maybe it's the romantic solution. You find completeness in finding the love partner. You will be whole when you fall in love. Well, today in in, uh, Colossians chapter 2, Paul is not going to say any of those things. Uh, What he's going to say is that that we are complete in Christ. You discover your completeness in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus Christ is sufficient. Jesus Christ is enough for you. For all of you, to make you whole, to make you complete. This is the point that Paul is going to make here in the passage. And so we're, we're going to explore what Paul says about how Jesus makes us complete. <clears throat> but before we do that, we, gotta, we kind of have to get the backstory here. And so uh, beginning in verse 6, Paul uh, begins the passage by saying, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, <clears throat> rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, And then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so there's a backstory here. There there were some false teachers in the church that were telling these these Christians that that Jesus wasn't enough for them that they needed something else, that there, there was some other pilgrimage, that there was some holy grail out there, uh, some missing piece of the puzzle. And that if they were really going to f- be complete, they needed to go after that thing. Now, uh, you know, commentators are, are uh, n- nobody agrees about what the false teaching is. Uh, and, you know, this is the trouble when, when you look at this letter, uh, Paul never describes the false teachers. He never describes the false teaching. He never refutes it point by point. And so you're left with sort of doing guesswork, like what, who were these guys and what exactly were they saying? And, and because of that, you know, commentators disagree about this. You know, almost every commentary I looked at disagreed about who the false teachers were. And so what I'm going to give you is my take. This is my take about uh, who I think uh, Paul is addressing here. And there are plenty of, of smarter people than me that disagree uh, with me on this, but this is, what, this is who I think they were. I think Paul is dealing with some Jewish uh, Gnosticism in this passage. He, he's dealing with Jewish Gnostics. And uh, let's look at the Jewish part. So <clears throat> they, these, these guys were Jewish uh, teachers. And they were telling the Colossians that if you want to be complete, Jesus is not enough. Uh, if you want to really be whole, if you really want to be mature as a Christian, you need to follow the Jewish law. And translated, that meant that you need to be circumcised. Uh, you've got to keep the kosher laws. You've got to change your diet. Uh, you need to observe all the Jewish uh, holy days like Sabbath and the, the Feast of Booths and all those things. You need to get on that, that calendar. You've got to essentially obey the Torah if you want to be complete. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that these guys were in almost all of Paul's churches, these, uh, these Jewish teachers trying to get people to 
uh, keep the Jewish law. But as you look at the passage here, it, it seems to me like they, he's talking about something more than just a normal Judaism that's threatening the church. Because some of the things he says almost looks like, they almost look like a Greek, uh, a Greek way, way of living or, or maybe a Gnostic way of living. And so he talks about worshiping angels, which is not really a Jewish thing. He talks about having mystical uh, uh, visions and spiritual experiences. He talks about asceticism and uh, you know, beating your body and things like that. So what's going on here? I think what he's getting at here is that there is a Gnosticism as well in a church. Now, uh, what is Gnosticism? Well, for Gnostics, the key idea is this idea of uh, pleroma. Can we all say that together? Pleroma. And pleroma literally meant fullness. And for a Gnostic, you were always on a search for fullness. This is what you want. This is what you need. This is the missing piece of the puzzle. You need to get fullness. And where do you get it? Well, for for a Gnostic, fullness, number one, is in God. Uh, You know, God, in God, out there in the spiritual realm, is is unfiltered fullness, right? Fullness is in God. And and beyond that, his fullness kind of filters through the cosmos, And so think of like a pyramid or a triangle where God has all the fullness and then some of his fullness sort of emanates and diffuses throughout the the cosmos. Uh, Maybe think of the sun where the, you know, the core of the heat is in the middle and then it kind of diffuses throughout the universe. Fullness is found in God, pleroma. This is what you need. But it's everywhere. It's all throughout the cosmos. But the only place fullness isn't is in the physical world. For a Gnostic, uh, the physical world was bad, the body was bad, the bodily existence was bad, matter was evil, and so uh, fullness was everywhere except for in the physical reality. And so if you wanted to experience it, you had to go almost have an outer body experience where you get into kind of a mystical, uh, uh, you know, sort of a dreamlike state, or maybe you worshipped angels, angels or, or you mistreated your body, all to get this, this holy grail of fullness, pleroma. And like I said, you kind of see Jewish elements here and you see Gnostic elements here. And so uh, my, my uh, take is that there's sort of a combo, right? M- maybe even the Jewish people are saying, hey, you experience pleroma play through getting circumcised. Now, if you are lost, you are not alone. <laughs> but this is gonna get rel- relevant in a minute. So, uh, you know, th- they're coming to this church and they're saying, Jesus, here's kind of the selling point or the upshot. They're saying, Jesus is not enough for you. Simple Christian faith is not enough for you. You need play Roma. You need fullness. You need to be complete. And in order to get that, you need to go on a search. It's out there. Completeness is out there. You need to find it. Either through Jewish observance or through asceticism or something else. Go on your search. And so we'll pick it up in verse 9. This is how Paul combats this false teaching. In verse 9, he says, listen. He says, don't, uh, he says, don't pay attention to these false teachers. For, he says in verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled up in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Paul says, listen, you don't need to go look for fullness anywhere else because In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, the word here, fullness, that that Paul uses to describe Jesus is the word pleroma. And he says pleroma twice. This is like a, this is, he repeats himself. He says, in Jesus, all the fullness of the fullness dwells in bodily form. 
You want to know where the fullness is? You want to know where the pleroma is? Well, it's all wrapped up in bodily form in Jesus. In Jesus is all the fullness, is all the the, the completeness of God in bodily form. Now, this would have been scandalous to the Gnostic, right? Because where is, pl- where is Pleroma is everywhere except for where? In the bodily existence, in matter. But here Paul is saying, listen, don't look for fullness anywhere else because all of your fullness is in Jesus Christ in bodily form. In other words, he's saying Jesus was not just some mere man. He wasn't just some nice, uh, you know, rabbi like, you know, uh, Mr. Rogers in the, in the first century, you know, walking around saying nice things to people and spouting lots of really good wisdom. He says, in Jesus Christ, in that man was all the fullness, was all the pleroma, all the power and all the life of God in bodily form. And this is why Jesus was able to command the seas and they obeyed him. Because all the power of God was, was all wrapped up in Jesus. Or he was able to raise the dead and command demons to get out because in him was power over the demonic realm. This is why Jesus could say things like, I am the bread of life or I am the light of the world. He's saying, I'm not pointing you to life. I'm not pointing you to fullness. In me is the fullness in bodily form. I am the life to which everything else points. So Paul says, you don't need to go looking for fullness. In Jesus Christ is all the fullness of the deity in bodily form. And this is why there is one point where uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, he looked at Jesus and he says, just show us the Father and that will be sufficient for us. Do you remember that, that time? And Jesus looked back at Thomas and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the very fullness and glory of God. For in him, Paul says, is the fullness of deity that dwells bodily. But then Paul goes on and he says this, which I think is even more powerful. He says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So here's what Paul is saying. Don't miss this. Paul is saying, listen, not only is all the fullness, all the pleroma in Jesus, but he's saying, if you are connected to Jesus Christ, then all the fullness that was in him is now in you. You have been brought to fullness in Christ. Now this teaching is all over Paul's letters. It's the teaching of a union with Christ. And it's the idea that Christ isn't just, you know, a God out there that we follow. That it's the idea that Christianity is not just following Jesus as he leads the way. Christianity is this Jesus Christ in all of his fullness entering inside of you. It is you being connected to Jesus. It's you being united to him. He is in us and we are in him. And what that means is that all that is his is now transferred to us. All that is Jesus's by nature is ours by grace. Once you are connected to him, and that's what what it means to be a Christian, all that is his becomes yours. You are absolutely complete in Christ. And for Paul, if you read his letters, Paul never uses the word Christian. Paul never describes a follower of Jesus with the word Christian. The phrase that Paul always uses to describe someone who's a a Christ follower is the phrase in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And so what is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who's not only following Jesus, but someone who is connected to Jesus. 
Jesus Christ lives in you and you live in him, which means that all of his fullness, all of his life, all of his power now belong to you. So Paul says, in him is all the fullness, and you have been filled up in him. Now, so what does this mean, though? This sounds esoteric. I mean, all that is Jesus's is mine. That sounds awesome, but what exactly does it mean? Well, Paul goes on, and he describes what he means by that. So he says, you are full in him, you are filled up in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And what he's saying here is that if you're a Christian, one of the things that you share with Jesus is his identity. Uh, Circumcision was an identity marker for a Jewish person. And of course, the false teachers were saying, you need to be circumcised. And Paul says, no, you don't need that identity. You already have an identity in Jesus. You share in the very, uh, uh, you know, title and and identity of Christ. Just as Jesus was a son or a son of God, you are a son or daughter of God. So picture this in your mind. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. And when he comes out of the water, the heaven opened up. And there was a voice that came from heaven, and what did it say? Anybody? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you are a Christian, you now share that identity. God looks at you through the lens of Jesus, and he says, you are my son. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. You share that with Jesus now. He's given you his identity. So Paul goes on and he says, you've been, you've been circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. And then verse 12, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And, verse 13, you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses. Now notice what Paul says here. He says, not only do you share in Christ's identity, but you also, you're united with him, and he's also given you his resurrection life. How has he done this? Well, he says that just as Jesus was died and he was buried and he rose again from the dead, if you are a Christian, you share in that. You died with Christ, your old man or woman was buried, and now you, were ra- you are raised with him in newness of life. Uh, And this is the imagery, you know, if you come here during a baptism, this is the imagery with that. So someone gets baptized, and uh, what do we do? We have the big tank up here, or maybe down at the community center. We dunk them in the water, and we hold them down for two or three minutes, (laughs) right? And then we pull them out of the water, and what do we say? We say, raised in newness of life. We're not just saying Christ died for you. We're saying you died with Christ, And you've been buried with him. All of your old life and your old nature and all of your sins, they've been buried, they're gone. And now as a Christian, you are raised in newness of life. You are raised together with Jesus. His life lives in you. And another place, Paul says that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. So you've been raised up with him. You've you've died with him and now you are, God's life through Jesus lives in you. I've got a friend who uh, has a big uh, tattoo of a cross on his back. And uh, one day we were swimming and he took off his shirt and there it was, you know, in all its glory. A big cross all the way down his back going out on his arms. And I asked him one day, I said, what is, why that tattoo? Is it to remind you that Jesus died for you? And he said, well, yes, but much more. 
It's to remind myself that I have died with Christ. And I was buried with him, my old man, my old life. And now I've been raised in newness of life. I share in the life of Jesus. You died with him, with him. You were buried with him, and now you are raised with him. You're not just following him. His very life is in you, enabling you, giving you vitality to live the life that he's called you to live. And so you share in the life of Jesus. But then he goes on and he says, uh, not only that, but you've been forgiven of all of your sins, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What he's saying here is that we share in the record of Jesus. We share in Jesus' moral record. And so what that means is that there, there's, a rec- there's, a, there's a law out there the Ten Commandments, the moral law, and Jesus Christ fulfilled this law perfectly. He lived the life that all of us should have lived. But then he died the death that all of us should have died. Why did he do that? So that we might share in his record that all the things that Jesus Christ did, all the righteousness, all the love might be attributed to our account, that he might give us his perfect record. And so it looks like this. Imagine all of your sins, all the, way you, all the ways you've broken the law are in a book. Some of you would say That's a very, that would be a very big book if all my sins were written in a book. So imagine that big book and in the gospel, Jesus Christ says, look, I'm wiping that, that book clean. All the things you've ever done wrong, I'm forgiving them. They're forgiven, forgotten, gone, wiped clean. But it's not only that. Jesus Christ has his own book his own record, which is filled with all the good things that Jesus Christ did. And if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ not only has wiped your book clean, but everything that was in his book, he now puts in your book. He's given you his record. He's given you a righteousness that you don't have on your own. You share in what he has done. You get his righteousness. You get his good record, is what Paul says. So he nailed the, he he says he's forgiven of all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. But notice he says we also share in Jesus' victory in verse 15. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them uh, over them in him. So in other words, what, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ conquered all the, 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 the evil forces in the spiritual realm, the, the, the evil angels, the demons, uh, the devil. On the cross, Jesus Christ conquered them. And he won a victory over them. And what Paul is saying is now we share in that victory. We share in his triumph. Jesus' victory is now our victory. So everything that's Jesus's, everything that he's full, he's got victory and life and power. And Paul says, now if you are in Jesus Christ, everything that was his, all that fullness, all that play Roma is now yours. You share in his victory. He won, he won the triumph, but we take part in the spoils. Now, I want you to think about it like a soccer, you know, in in some ways, if you look at a soccer team and there's a forward who shoots a goal and and he wins the game, uh, in some ways, the whole team partakes in his victory, right? The forward shoots the goal, but the whole team wins the game, and everybody on the bench, in a sense, wins the game. 
and the people at home on the couch win the game. Yes, we won! We didn't shoot the goal, but we're partaking in his victory. Paul is saying all that Jesus Christ has done, we share in it. Uh, over the summer here, we've had a great summer, and I was talking to Lynn about that. And one of the things we've been doing uh, throughout the summer is going to the, this little creek out in Silomar. Have you guys been there? Silomar Creek. And uh, th- there's a, s- a rope swing there, and you swing off the, the rocks, you know, into the water. And uh, all of my sons are, are enjoying that, except for my, my, my smallest ones, because they can't really swim yet. But little Jude really wanted to, he wanted to swing. He wanted to do it. So he says, Daddy, I just want to swing so bad. And I said, listen, get on my back. And so I put little Jude on my back. And we swam across the, the little creek with him on my back. And then I, I got up on the rocks with little Jude on my back. And then I grabbed the rope, rope swing, and we together, we, we swung off the swing into the water, splash into the water. And when we were all done, little Jude put up his hands in victory. I did it! <laughs> but he didn't do it, I did it. I won the victory. I'm the one who did that work. I I did all the work, but he shares in the spoil. And in a sense, Paul is saying, listen, everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus accomplished, everything that Jesus Christ had, all of that fullness that is in bodily form in Christ, if you are connected to him, you share in that fullness. All of that victory, all of that record, all of that identity is yours. You are complete. You have been made full in him. You are missing nothing if you're a Christian. Jesus Christ is enough. He's sufficient for everything that you need. Rankin Wilburn, his quote is in your bulletin. He says this. He says, your frantic attempts to find or craft an acceptable identity or your tireless work to manage your own reputation, these are over and done. You can rest in Christ. You don't have to be intimidated by anyone ever. Who are you? You are in Christ, and you no longer need to fear the judgment of God. When God looks at you, he sees you hidden in Christ. This is freedom. This is confidence. This is the good news. What is the good news? It's not only that Jesus died for you. It's that Jesus Christ lives in you. And because he lives in you, he's given you every single thing thing that you need. You are complete. So let me stop here and let me try to apply this uh, at the end uh, because this sounds a little nebulous, doesn't it? I mean, we are complete. If you're a Christian, you've got everything. But what does that mean? How does that change the way you live? You are in Christ, but what does that mean? How does that change the way you live? Let me give you three points. Here they are. Some of you didn't think they were coming. Here's the three points at the very end. These are application points. Three words. Uh, First, this this means something for growth. Because how does growth happen for you as a Christian? How do you grow? How do you develop? How How do you thrive as a Christian? It's by learning what you've already got. It's not by getting new th- some new thing, some new book, some new experience, some new strategy. It's by learning more and more what you already have in Christ. It's by entering, entering into your completeness. It's by drilling down into the basic idea that Jesus Christ is united to you. 
This is exactly what Paul says back at the beginning of the chapter. He says in verse six, as you received Christ, look how simple this is, just as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up, he says, drilled down in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He says, you don't need anything new. If you're a Christian, you already have everything that you need to be complete. And the rest of the Christian life, this is how you grow, is you drill down into what you've already got. Learning what it means that you have a new identity. Drawing on the life that you already have in Jesus. It's just learning how to appropriate which you already have. Because many of us are searching for what we already have. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you call somebody and you say, babe, I can't find my phone. You don't say babe, I say babe. (laughs) I can't find my phone. I can't find it. Where is it? I'm looking all over for it. I can't, has anybody ever done this? Come on, be honest. Yes, I see that hand. I can't find my phone. Babe, maybe you're talking on it right now. Maybe you're searching for something that you already possess. And many of you, you're searching for something that you already have. You already have all you need in Jesus. And the search is over. And now it's about drilling down, discovering, and and learning how to appropriate what you already have got. When I got married, immediately I was a husband. Right, on the wedding day, I was a husband. I mean, that was my identity. But I'm spending the rest of my life learning what it means to be a husband. Because there are some days that my wife would say, you're not a husband. (laughs) Husband doesn't do that. Right, I've got to learn how to be what I am. And you need to learn to be who you are. You're a child of God, you need to learn to be that. You've got the resurrection life inside of you, you need to learn to draw on that. Jesus Christ is in you. It's so simple. Just drill down into what you've already got. And this is how you grow. This is where the growth comes from. Later on, Paul would say say this in, um, in verse 19. He says, you need to hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. You gotta hold fast to the head who is Jesus. The way Jesus put it in John 15 was I, it's so simple, I am the vine. In the vine is vitality and life and fullness. And you need to learn how to abide in me. And if you stay connected to me, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. You don't have to go find it, you've already got it. You need to learn how to abide and stay connected to all the fullness that is yours in Christ. So it says something about growth. It also says something about contentment. And these points are gonna get uh, increasingly short as I go along, because I'm running out of time. There's something here about contentment. Because some of you are, you wanna be complete, and you think, oh, I won't be complete unless I get the holy grail, if I find the missing piece of the puzzle out there. I feel incomplete, and I won't be complete unless I find that, that relationship. If I get in that marriage, if I have those kids, if I get rid of those kids, get rid of them. I don't want them. You know, I want them. Mine, I want mine. But it's maybe you're thinking, if I, only, if I can only reach this one thing, then I'll be complete. And Paul says, nope, you're already complete. Right now, where you are, you have all you need. There is nothing else that you need to be complete. You already are. 
So there's a word about growth here, there's a word about contentment, and there's a word about suffering. Because some of you are going through suffering, some of you are in difficulties right now, and, and I want you to know that Jesus Christ is enough for you. Corrie ten Boom has this great little quote. She was, remember, she was the Dutch Christian who, who hid uh, Jews in her closet during the Holocaust. And she went through all this suffering, all this difficulty. And she said, sometimes you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. And so if you're suffering, if, you're, if, you're, if things are just not the way they're supposed to be in your life, I want you to know Jesus Christ is enough. Right now, Jesus Christ is sufficient for you. You are complete in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage uh, that has so much in it, but essentially what you're saying is that if we are Christians, we are in Christ, and if we are in Christ, then, then all, that, all that we need is right there for us. God, I pray for those uh, battling with distraction today, uh, just doing just about everything except for abiding in you. Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning. God, I pray for those who feel discontent or just feel like they're on a search to, to feel complete. Lord, I pray that they would realize their, their completeness, their fullness that they have in you. And God, I pray for those who are going through difficulty, those who are suffering, those who are struggling, Lord, I pray that you would be their sufficiency. God, all the life, all the fullness that was in Jesus, I pray that you would pour it into their lives so that they will uh, keep on going, that they would have strength to continue even in light of the things they're facing. God, you are enough. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.